and welcome back to that spooky life. I am Miranda, your host, and I would like to graciously welcome you back to our weekly slide into the in-between of supernatural, witchy, metaphysical, and just paranormal bananas. That's right, paranormal bananas. The Ghostbusters would have probably a field day with that. How are you all? I hope all of the spooky people are doing well and that this week finds you in lifted spirits and hopefully not uh, spirits haunting you unless you want them to because you know as long as you're cool with it I don't suppose it's really a bad thing. We are going to dive right in today with a bit of an odd experience paranormal but in kind of a different way than I have shared before and I will say that This was actually kind of a hard one for me to write down, not only because I, in doing so, relived the experience, but also because I'm missing pieces of time from it, which makes it even more interesting. And I may have mentioned it here and there before, and I may not have. I'm not entirely sure at this point, since we've touched on so many things. But I wanted to sit down and give the full account Also somewhat by request, since I had been talking around it to a couple of our very special spooky listeners, also hashtag spooky squad, and I thought that uh, it was time I sat down and actually write everything down, and well, I'm just going to dive right into it. So my spooky story today starts when... I was six or seven years old, actually. We have to go back that far. We lived in the sticks and had very few channels for television. All the free networks we got all right with an antenna over our garage, including my favorite, Georgia Public Television. GPTV had Sesame Street in the morning, Reading Rainbow at lunch, Bob Ross in the afternoon, and Nova and other history shows in the evening before bed. I don't remember exactly how old I was, but I remember that it was before my eighth birthday. I saw a documentary on ancient Egypt, complete with the mummies and expeditions and artifacts and all kinds of stuff, and I was hooked. I remember sitting there hyper-focused and watching just in raw fascination as my stomach turned and I had a terribly visceral reaction, honestly, that translated to my young mind as fear. I told my mom that I didn't like seeing the mummies and they scared me, and we had a long talk. While it still played, because I asked her not to turn it off. Our talk was about how dead things can't hurt you, and tomb robbing, and how nowadays they're barely in the 90s that scientists took great care to preserve history, and it was just remains, and in movies it was just a prop that someone had to make, so on and so forth. But Egypt had me. I was hooked. By my eighth birthday, it was prominent enough in my life that my mother managed to drum up this jewelry-making kit from the Metropolitan Museum of Art. It was a huge deal for me, and it was this little set of, like, clay beads, little copper wire, and little just brass little tabs that it had a book on how to make Egyptian-style 
jewelry in the way that they would have, or close to the way that they would have done it back then. I loved that thing. I made so many things out of it. I never actually managed to make like one of the big pretty collars, which may or may not be an item on my bucket list, but I did so much with it and I tried so hard and I was not very good at it when I was eight, but I legitimately did my level best to make something out of that set and I just read through it over and over again, absorbing all of the information that I could. It was a big deal for me on and off, honestly, until I was introduced to the idea of cultural appropriation in my teenage years. And I honestly shied away from it rather violently, not wanting to be that white girl. After that, I still learned about the mythology, read archaeological articles, I watched documentaries, I still felt that draw, I just didn't really talk about it anymore. And I didn't really, I didn't wear any anything except this one little silver onk that I got at a shop uh, on the main strip of where we ended up moving after my parents' divorce. And it's the symbol for eternal life. I loved that thing dearly. And I could play it off as being a comic book nerd with Neil Gaiman's Sandman series because Death wore an onk. And she was my favorite. So I never talked about the other side of that in the fact that, you know, it was a symbol for eternal life and all of these things in Egyptian mythology and culture. I just leaned into the comic book thing. So... Fast forward to what had to be, I don't know, I think it was 2007, though I don't remember if it was the beginning of the year or the end. I know it was winter because it was snowing in Chicago. I was there for a concert with a friend and we had seats for that concert, so we didn't have to like stand in line to get a good place. It wasn't general admission and we were looking for things to do. We walked around for hours looking at the architecture and being pedestrian tourists in Chicago, there's a lot of beautiful Gothic architecture in Chicago that I love. Uh, the Dark Knight hadn't been out. God, it, I mean, I honestly didn't look that up and research before I started this episode. But like, I know the Dark Knight was out and we went to one of the streets where one of the outside shots that was actually filmed in Chicago was. And I had a moment that I was in Gotham City. So we were, we, my friend who was with me, we were the ones who always found the museums. It's a tradition now when we go on road trips or go on vacations or anything like that. We always make sure to know what museums are in the area so that if we have time, we can go to a museum. But this trip was one of the few, was was one of the first few, like when that tradition started. Lo and behold, Field Natural History Museum had an exhibit that I was beside myself with excitement to see. Uh... It is a permanent exhibit. It is still at the Field Natural History Museum, and I do plan to go back one day. But from the field's website, there inside ancient Egypt is a three-story replica of a mastaba, a type of ancient Egyptian tomb that houses two authentic chamber rooms from the burial site of the 5th dynasty Egyptian pharaoh, Unis's son, Unis Ankh. The burial chamber, which dates to 2400 B.C., houses one of the largest collections of mummies in the United States, 23 human mummies, and more than 30 animal mummies. Now, 
when they say two authentic chamber rooms, what this means is brought the literal stones of the rooms with them from Egypt and reconstructed inside this tomb. It overall was a surreal experience, and when we got to the field and I saw the entrance, I all but skipped to it. Like, that energy of a kid in a candy shop. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Do you need to pee first? No, I'll pee afterwards. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. That kind of, like, high, excited energy. And as I got up to it, I was brought to a complete halt as my stomach turned and I felt suddenly very not well. It was not from any kind of physical It was an energetic sort of psychic experience that the closer I got to the actual stuff, I was like, oh, wait, something's, wait, I did not feel good. It was confusing. I have been in many a museum with many an old or dead thing, and it didn't tend to bother me. Not on that level, at least. But we were getting ready to go in, and I just suddenly felt like I didn't want to went from skipping to not moving, which was bananas, and I promptly ignored the feeling. I was just like, nope, not today. I mentioned to my friend that I had a weird feeling that I didn't understand, because by that point, I had learned if I got a gut feeling that caught my attention on that level, it was worth mentioning, and he was one of my friends that I felt comfortable talking about those things with. So I was like, hey, by the way, just as a side note, This happened, I'm doing it anyway, and let's see what happens. So, we go in, and it's great. It's a really well-done exhibit, and I was in awe most of the time, two-thirds of the time. Just gleeful that this was the closest to Egypt I had ever been. Of the three stories, it was okay until we got to the final level which was the burial chambers and the lowest level in the structure. There was a hallway, one of the authentic chambers mentioned, where the walls around and above you are all the stones taken from the mastaba and transported to Chicago. And it was, well, really at the time I didn't have the vocabulary for it. It felt heavy and ethereal which is kind of a light feeling all at the same time. Like a spiritual experience with glee and foreboding, and I felt like I shouldn't be there, or maybe I should, but something bad awaited. I just... I have come to recognize that particular left of sideways feeling in my life heralds the beginning of a past life recall or regression. If you're not familiar with that term, a past life recall or regression is when you are taken by a memory of a life that you once lived. The belief is that your higher self, the part of your soul that is eternal, remembers everything in every incarnation that you've ever had. And sometimes if you run into something that is familiar to you from a past life, you can have certain impressions or even full-blown memories manifest and reveal themselves to you coming sort of like from this higher part of your consciousness. 
So I have personally come to recognize that that feeling is associated with beginning of, of one of those recalls for me. And it's kind of the way that I have come to refer to it as it's the feeling of when my higher self is either trying to cram into my meat suit with me to get something it recognizes and tell me about or yank me out of my meat suit to tell me something that I can't hear with physical ears. Um, at the end of that hall, at least as I remember it, since my memory of this entire experience is very watery with some black spots at best that I will get to in more detail shortly. But at the end of this hallway was where it got dark. It was comfortable, actually. It didn't, it didn't bother me. It was still well lit. Like you could still see, but like they were giving the impression of like torchlight and things like that. But it's where a huge portion of the mummified remains sort of began in the exhibit. So I'm right up on my friend because the gut feeling is now super strong and back in full force. And I'm having a weird moment that I hadn't fully come to recognize yet. And we caught up with a tour that was going through the exhibit in front of us. And the lady running it that worked for the museum was super cool and sort of just like waved us to where it was sort of understood that we could stay and listen as long as we weren't like obviously with the tour quoting air quotes with my fingers. She was really cool. She basically let us join the tour and we didn't pay for the tour. So if she still works there, thank you. You were very cool that day. And she was talking about some artifacts. We were looking at this big lit up display in front of us with canoptic jars, mummification tools, and a couple of other things. I'm standing at like my friend's shoulder slightly behind him. And I hear something behind me slash kind of felt it. And it was like a scream. So because I was so high strung in that moment, I immediately startled and jumped around but the scream went on too long for my initial thought to make sense. Like my initial thought was somebody got startled by something. It was a dude. But then by the time I turned around, it still went on for a second before it faded. And I realized that there was nobody standing behind me. There was no living person behind me. But like I looked, I was so sensitive and open at that moment. I genuinely thought someone was behind me. I came face to face, sort of, with a mummy who was lower in the display in a darkened fucking exhibit window like its light bulb had gone out. Like there was nothing lighting it. It was just a mummy sitting there behind some glass in the dark. And I swear to God, it was looking at me. And it was absolutely screaming at me. That is the source of the sound that I realized I wasn't hearing with my ears. But at first I thought I had. To my memory, it was looking at me. It was screaming, but I'm not entirely sure that that's accurate. I think I was just suddenly that level of upset and that was an impression and maybe a memory that my mind sort of created to help explain it. I don't know. It was, he was in the dark, but he was very real and very suddenly right there and I had walked past it and not realized because it wasn't lit up. I literally leapt into the air and all but crawled bodily over my friend's shoulder to put him between me and the screaming mummy. And he covered for me to the normies that noticed as I had the 
just rapid blow of emotions. And, you know, I'd been startled by the mummy. Everybody sort of chuckled and moved on. And before I'd had time to fully process what had happened, I was suddenly overtaken by this overwhelming instantaneous fixation on the first and at this time only book of coming forth by day that I have ever seen. I'm not going to go into too much detail, uh, just the too long didn't read version of most people know it as the book of the dead, but it actually translates to the book of coming forth by day or emerging forth into the light and is a collection of spells buried with the dead in ancient Egypt as like sort of a roadmap to the afterlife. If you guys want to know more about the book of coming forth by day, let me know and I'll dedicate a witchy tip or like one of my spooky segments to it in the future and do some proper research that will help me sort of dust off the old knowledge and maybe learn some new things along the way. Anyway, I see this ancient but insanely well-preserved papyrus behind the glass and it was not a replica. The replica was below it and as a sort of how it probably looked and was far less interesting than the real really well-preserved book of spells that was radiating so much power to me, I could feel it through the glass. And it was not the one for the Pharaoh's son, I think it merits mentioning. If I remember correctly, it was like a well-known cobbler or jewelry maker or basket weaver or something. Like, it was a successful blue-collar worker's burial book, and it still had that power of, like, just radiating through the glass. Eventually, I realized that my friend had been talking to me for minutes, and we were alone as the tour had moved on. I'd heard nothing he'd said, and he was concerned, frustrated at me, because I was completely unable to articulate what the hell was going on with me. I could not communicate my feelings to him, no matter how hard I tried. It would take me over a decade from that time to be able to fully explain to him my experience accurately, by the way. So one more hallway filled with jewelry and belongings. And I do remember I managed to get out. I feel like I don't know belonging, ownership, like that. And I pointed to this lapis necklace. I want to be like, that's mine. It's not. At least I don't think it is, but that's how I feel. And then as I'm trying to explain this to him, and I finally am starting to use metaphors that he's kind of getting the vibe of where my head is at. We were then in the final room burial chamber and everything, including time, stopped for me. It didn't stop. There were like the most people that we had seen in the entire exhibit in this one room. Everything was normal and fine for them, including my friend. For me, I stopped. Time stopped. The next few minutes lasted a very long time for me. It was dark in there. There were mummies. There were so many mummies. That's where, at the time that I was there, a majority of the remains were. And to see actual human remains well-preserved in a very unique way just around you was upsetting to me. But beyond that, the only thing I solidly remember 
is that there was a large statue of a death goddess or god that was not Osiris. It was not Anubis, to my memory. Over the exit door. This is important. I'm going to tell you the rest from my experience first. It was not until 14 years later, just a few weeks ago, that I found out that there's more to this story. But we're going to start with my experience first. This statue was possessed of a great deal of power from worship and time and death, I assume, and had a spirit inside of it. I walked into this final room, little 2006 vampire emo music loving me, and I stopped dead as it, I swear, looked at me with glowing eyes bent down and started to say something to me and i knew with more certainty than i had in anything in that entire 24-hour period that i could not leave i could not walk under it and leave it was over the exit and it was not going to let me leave and i knew this I was frozen in fear because I wanted to run out of there as fast and as far as my little legs could carry me, but I could not leave. The next thing I know, I am sitting on a bench of some kind outside of the gift shop, and my friend is looking about 100% more worried and telling me that I needed to finish the sandwich and drink more water. What sandwich, you might ask? The sandwich that I had eaten approximately a quarter of by the time I realized it was in my hand. I have a vague memory of starting to ramble at him, trying to explain what I was seeing and experiencing. I have no recollection of how I got to that bench. Obviously, he got me out. Like, the math isn't hard. After I finished the water and sandwich, I think I went to the bathroom and he took me to see the taxidermy animals to try and cheer me up and headed out after that. That is what I remember. Last week, or a couple weeks ago, I think at this point, but here in 2020, I was reminiscing with that same friend about that time on topic with some past life work that I'd recently been doing. He asked what I remembered about my conversation with the spirit, and I said nothing. I knew that I was missing that time. I knew that I had started to say something to him, and then the next thing I knew, I was sitting outside the gift shop. That's very obvious that from inside the burial chamber to the gift shop, I was missing time, so I was not surprised. He said that I started rambling about knowing that I needed to get out of there, but I couldn't because of the statue or the spirit, and I wanted to, but I couldn't, and then apparently I started having a conversation with the spirit and the statue there in front of anyone and everyone in a public exhibit in Chicago. And at that point, he was like, okay, time to go. And literally arm around my shoulders forced me out of the exhibit. Then, after the sandwich, we did not go to the taxidermy exhibit. Apparently, we walked around the rest of the museum for like two and a half hours as he tried to walk me through what he'd realized at the time was a powerful past life recall, even took a few mental notes for clarity later before we went to the other exhibit when I couldn't seem to get anything else. I have no memory of this conversation. 
suspicious flashes of possible locations that were in the field museum and i had assumed were other museums maybe but the conversation itself no memory but he told me things two weeks ago explained that i had said things 14 years ago that i would not know about or understand until 10 plus years after that experience things that match up with studies and information i have learned since that i had literally no way of knowing at the time and he had literally no way of knowing at the time and as i discovered two weeks ago still didn't know anything about he just told me what he remembered that i said and the certain key points of the information happens to line up with some stuff that i am doing currently that I did not even start learning about until like four years ago. Spooky friends, I was shook. Shook eth. Shook the house. And here in 2020, 16 years after the initial event, I can still remember that giant statue spirit turning to look at me. It didn't move. That's unreasonable. The statue did not move. But to my personal memory, its eyes lit up, it turned and looked at me and bent down to look at me. And I can still feel the cold, sharp, sudden fear in my chest as I remember the feeling of knowing that I could not leave. And that is my spooky story for the week. Our listener story for the day comes from longtime friend of the podcast, author Diana Abernathy. And I have read part of this and I just, I'm going to get chills. You'll probably get chills. It's going to be a ride. Let's get right into it. It is called Mother's Intuition or Something Else. Diana writes, Dreams fascinate me, especially the dreams of the spiritually gifted. Over the course of my life, I've experienced many interesting dreams that are far from, quote, the norm. Before I begin this story, it's relevant to state that I am a deep sleeper, and I mean deep. I can literally sleep through a tornado passing my house. Yes, that really happened. <laughs> Girl, yes. I also must note that some dreams are disturbing, and the mind of the spiritually gifted can be a cruel thing at times. As a disclaimer, if you are the sensitive type that cannot handle harm to children, then this story is not for you. However, I will tell you this much in the beginning, the dreams are worse than the reality. So if that helps you feel more comfortable, stick around. Oh, I'm buckled in. Okay, let's do this. I have three biological children, and this story takes place before my third child, when my older boys were two and three years old. We had moved into a mobile home community out on Kingston Highway. During this time, I had met and made friends with a couple, one Wiccan, one Pagan. Needless to say, while around them, my sixth sense was magnified. During one of my kid-free weekends, I was catching up on some much-needed sleep. While sleeping, I dreamed about being in my friend's house, and my oldest son was asleep on their bed. 
I walked through their bedroom to use their bathroom, and I noticed that my son was moving around and getting awfully close to the edge of the bed. So I walked over and placed my leg up because I knew that once he bumped into the barrier, he would do as he always did and roll the other way. That was not the case this time. My son continued to roll, and in such a way that the top half of his body fell off the bed, his head becoming wedged between the bed and the nightstand. He fell, and when he did, his neck twisted and broke instantly. Oh, God. Ugh. Do not like that. I looked down at my son's face, consumed in the worst fear I'd ever felt. His eyes were bleeding and gray, and his tongue was hanging out as if he'd been strangled. I woke up instantly, covered in sweat, and my body felt as though it was on fire. I looked at the clock, and it was a little after three in the morning. My boys were with grandparents, and they're surely asleep at this hour, but I don't give a rat's ass I'm calling. So I grab my cell and call my mother-in-law, expecting the phone to ring several times before getting an answer. To my surprise, she answered the phone on the first ring and sounded wide awake. I asked if my boys were okay, but specifically the oldest. She said that that's actually why she was awake. With him, because he had rolled off the bed and hit his head on the nightstand as he fell and had just a small cut just above his eye. I told her about my nightmare and that it was the reason for the late night call. She simply replied with, A mother always knows. How right she is. Mother's intuition can be strong sometimes but I knew it was more than that. While I am eternally grateful that the fall my son experienced that night was minor in comparison to his fall in my dream, I believe that I was somehow connected to him in my sleep, watching over him, and I knew the minute something happened. Of course, I probably wouldn't have woken up to call and check on him and then be able to comfort him over the phone had my mind not amplified the scenario and scared me awake. I believe this premonition may have been from dreamwalking, and that it was amplified because I saw it as my son perceived the fall as a toddler, because as all parents know, the smallest injury seems like death to that young child, until mommy kisses the boo-boo better. Uh, okay. First of all, those kind of dreams when you are a parent, I am surprised that you didn't wake up immediately hysterical. Like, sob, ugly, crying, can't understand me on the phone, sobbing hysterical. Because I've had some dreams like that before. Not, not with my, not with my little one, thank the gods on that one. But like with a family member or something like that with my husband i had i had that dream with a, a similar dream with my husband the fact that you were like nope i'm gonna call i don't care that it's 3 a.m you were cognizant enough to do that i applaud you madam second of all that is amazing uh the fact that you knew what had happened at almost the same time it was happening, I agree that that completely seems like dreamwalking. Like, you had gone to check on your kiddos in your sleep, and that happened to be the time that it happened, or it was meant to be the time that it happened. Like, oh my gosh. 
that is such a moving and awesome story. Thank you very much for sharing that with us. Whew. I always love your stories. They give me the heebie-jeebies, but also most of them have a decent resolution. And that one's just a flat-out happy ending. So I'm going to take the win. And that is our listener story for the week. And finally, our witchy tip for the day. I personally think that it is completely relevant to both spooky stories today and find it to be very important. If you are doing a lot of energetic work, if you are finding yourself dream walking and need to come back down to make a phone call, if you find yourself caught up in a past life recall, even if you're just doing things astrally, any of those things, ghost hunting, spell work, or just something hit you magically or energetically out of the blue, eat a sandwich. Not literally, necessarily. Like, it doesn't have to be a sandwich. But when you need to be back fully grounded and tangibly in your body, a very good way to do that is having something to eat. Because the process of doing so is something that is both familiar from an entire life of experience a very physical action that the spirit doesn't have to do in that way, at least. And putting something in your body makes your body, it goes through the process of digestion. It sends blood to, to stimulate the stomach. There are saliva and acids and other things being stimulated in your body. It's a lot of physical reactions that can help re-anchor you within yourself energetically. Drinking water can also be very important because depending upon what you've been doing, you may have been sitting there for a while, you may have been sleeping. Dehydration has a tendency to kind of make you feel a little odd anyway. So making sure that you're hydrated along with a muffin or a sandwich or a couple of pieces of beef jerky, something to get your stomach going. It's it stimulates your body and gets those endorphins and chemicals flowing that also happen to energetically help you re-identify with your human extremities and not your energetic squidly bits, basically. Other practices of grounding, like standing in the dirt and picturing your roots growing down and cycling energy into the earth and back up into you, you know, I've seen people uh, do jumping jacks or take a bath, take a shower, something affirming that basically makes you very aware of your body and aware of where you are in the physical space can help sort of get rid of that left of sideways feeling if you're done with it or if it came on out of nowhere or like in a story that I have yet to tell that I will look at sharing very soon, you have a past life recall while you're working in a call center on the phone with a customer that results in a nosebleed. It's a good idea to eat some Cheetos or have a sandwich. So if you are feeling energetically or spiritually detached or sort of disassociated from your own body, eat a sandwich. You will more than likely 
And I would say nine times out of 10 end up feeling better pretty quickly and fully back comfy in your meat suit as you are most of the time. And that is my witchy tip for the day. I would like to thank everybody for tuning in and thank Diana for sending in her wonderful, spooky, supernatural dream walking story. I am glad that your little one was safe and not nearly as injured as initially feared. Obviously, not terribly little anymore, but you follow. If you have a spooky experience or story that you would like to share, please email me at thatspookylifepodcast at gmail.com or follow me on Instagram at thatspookylifepodcast. I'm once again considering potentially making a Facebook page if that's something that you guys would like to see. But I'm looking at potentially having people basically call in and share a spooky story. I know that there's a lot of folks out there who don't really feel confident in their writing skills or don't have the time to sit down and write it out. And it does tend to be a little bit uh, more streamlined to actually tell a spooky story than it does write it down. So if you're one of the people who has a spooky story, but you don't have a chance to write it down, feel free to fire me off an email and be like, hey, I have an experience I would like to share, but would it be possible for me to get with you and actually tell the story? I am happy to entertain that. I also have a thing or two in the works that I'm not sure when it's going to happen yet. So don't be looking for it next week. But I have a couple of things uh, that I am trying to work out. Maybe some more guests that I would like to share with you guys. So cross your fingers because if I can herd the spooky cats, it is going to be a good time. So thank you for joining us. I hope that your day and your week to follow is filled with prosperity and that you have a wonderful weekend leading into next week until we can talk again. And until then, my friends, my spooky, spooky friends, do not forget to keep living that spooky life. Bye.